There will be a quiz. So if you can remember everything that he just said. Or just remember this. It's all very exciting. I heard that word. <laughs> all right. If you have a Bible with you, I encourage you to turn in it to Romans chapter 14. We're going to pick up our series again on this letter, which is Good News for a Bad News World. That was the title we gave this series that we've been in for a while. So it means that through COVID, through the election, through anything that you're going to experience in life, this letter points to where the hope and the stability and the peace is found. And so that's why we're walking through it. And it has shown itself to be uh, applicable all over and over and over again. So our, our text today is Romans 14, 13 to 23. And we're in the middle of an extended treatment of how to disagree well. Paul writes to the Corinthian church, a um, bunch of believers there who want to please God, but they don't always agree on the details of what that looks like and the choices that they're making for their lives. And so since this, the unity of the church is very important to the Lord, we have a chapter and a half on how to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. And so that's what we're in right now. So let's drop down into the middle of it. We're going to read 13 to 23 and then pray. Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. I know and am convinced or persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself, but it is unclean for anyone who thinks it unclean. For if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love. By what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. So do not let what you regard as good be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So then, let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. Do not, for the sake of food, destroy the work of God. Everything is indeed clean, but it is wrong for anyone to make another stumble by what he eats. It is good not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. The faith that you have, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves. But whoever doubts is condemned if he eats, because the eating is not from faith, for whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. Let's pray. <clears throat> Something of a complicated passage here, Lord, goes back and forth between things, and we just ask that you would open it up to us this morning. There's, there's joy in here, there's good news in here, there's practical application for how we actually walk together in unity, and there's, of course, a, a pointer to Jesus Christ, the center of it all, and so we ask you to open up our hearts to receive what you have in this passage, and we ask you to bless us by the Holy Spirit's ministry this morning. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, one of the more un unpleasant phrases that has made its way into public discourse is this one. 
deal with it. <laughs> deal with it. Has anyone ever said that to you? Maybe you've said it to somebody. The shorter phrase, deal with, just means cope with something, to, to handle it. As in, I, I'm, I'm dealing with the loss of my job. But deal with it is an attitude and a challenge. As in, you don't like what I do? You don't like what I think? Deal with it. What that communicates is that you have to adjust to me. I don't have to adjust to you. I'm going to do what I do and I'm going to be who I want to be and you just have to get on board with that or go somewhere else. I don't think it's too hard to detect that attitude in our public discourse and maybe it's in your own hearts as well maybe you've had a deal with it moment towards someone else but this is something that the good news of jesus christ changes in our hearts because if you really get the implications of jesus dying on the cross for your sins if the love of that affects you you realize that it's my privilege and my joy to adjust to others if it would benefit them, not make them adjust to me. It's Jesus humbling himself to death on a cross that we might become rescued and his adopted sons and daughters. It's Paul saying, I have become all things to all men that by all means I might save some. It's you and me practicing verse 13 of the text, which is to decide never to put a stumbling block or a hindrance in the way of a brother. We're going to talk this morning about what that instruction means, to not put this stumbling block in front of a brother. And I'm going to make three points. Number one is that you have freedom in Christ. Then your freedom is not as important as your brother's upbuilding. And three, your freedom is not as important as the gospel. That's our outline. Let's jump right into it. Begin with, you have freedom in Christ. By that I mean you have freedom to enjoy all that God has made. All of his good gifts like food and drink and music and football games and camping trips and friends. It's verse 14, Paul says, I know and am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself. Unclean meaning off limits, unholy, not to be enjoyed. Now he's not talking about things that are obviously sinful, things that God forbids in Scripture. That is off limits. But he's talking about things that are like that list that I just gave. It's, it's 1 Timothy 4, 4, truth, that everything created by God is good and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving. But the problem in the church of Rome is that not everyone was living in the freedom of that. They had conscience problems with enjoying certain things that God had created for them to enjoy. Here's the situation. You had believers in the Church of Rome who came from a Jewish background. And so they, they were raised under the Old Testament laws, including the food laws, which said there's certain foods you don't eat, and then there's certain foods you must eat on certain days, like Passover. 
And so they wouldn't eat pork. They wouldn't eat anything that came from a pig. Um, that would be very troublesome for them to do it. And so now that they're free in Christ, now that they've received Jesus and he's become their savior, they're still working out the implications of that. They're still working out the implications of Mark 7:19, where Jesus declared all foods clean. But they were raised thinking pork is bad. <laughs> That's unholy. And so they still have a conscious problem with doing that. It feels wrong to eat that. And that's a conscience issue. They are described as the weak in faith in verse 1 because they haven't been able to embrace the freedoms that they actually have in Christ. On the other hand, now, in the Church of Rome, you've got believers from a Gentile background. They aren't Jews. They never were raised underneath the Old Testament. They never had any food laws. They didn't have to celebrate the Passover. That didn't mean anything to them. So pork, bacon, ham, no problem. Let's have it. Uh, meat sacrifice to idols, I don't care. It's just meat. That was their mindset. They had no conscience issues with eating any of that, and so they didn't feel like they needed to, to go there and start restricting themselves. They felt they're being faithful to God by not adding those restrictions, by continuing to eat whatever. They're the, called, they're the ones who are strong in faith because they're experiencing and living in all the freedoms that Christ gives us. So you throw these two groups of people together at the church picnic. And what do you think is going to happen? <laughs> Friction, <laughs> right? Passing judgment on one another. Why are you eating that? Why don't you eat that? Pointing their figures at each other. The strong in faith, looking down at the weak in faith, and saying, you poor, misguided soul, you're still living in bondage. How sad. <laughs> and the weak in faith, looking down on the strong in faith and thinking, you immature, indulgent person, not at all concerned with holy living. How dare you? That was going on in the church of Rome. That's why Paul opens verse 13 with, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer they were doing that so that's the situation in rome and it's still the situation in some form today for believers right because we also have some limitations on our consciences we have backgrounds history things we were raised with believing and we are still in some sense in bondage to some things that we shouldn't be we have conscience issues about things we shouldn't have. So maybe today that the equivalent might be a person who doesn't want to eat meat because of unethical treatment of the animals in the food industry. And they are aware that God cares about animals. Deuteronomy 25.4, you shall not muzzle the ox when he is treading out the grain. God cares about ethical treatment of our animals and so that's the only thing that that's the main thing in a person's mind i feel like i cannot i cannot eat any meat because that would be wrong i would be supporting something that's unethical so there's a conscience thing there, there there's a, a lid on the freedom there um, or it could be a person who doesn't drink alcohol i'll come back to this one because maybe that's more interesting to some people um, maybe you've been raised in a context where certain bible verses were emphasized more than others 
Proverbs 20, verse 1. Wine is a mocker, strong drink a brawler. Whoever is led astray by it is not wise. So maybe they were raised thinking, that's just not wise. You shouldn't do that. Nobody should do that. Maybe he's got a friend who was killed by a drunk driver. Maybe he's a recovering alcoholic. There are reasons where that person says it would be wrong to do that. Maybe you associate certain genres of music as ungodly, that there could never be anything good about rap or screamo, or that there's nothing redemptive in watching sci-fi. We could add a list of all sorts of things that one might associate as fundamentally wrong, even though the scriptures don't actually say that they're wrong. We know that anything can be used for evil, but it is not itself evil unless Scripture says that it is. Paul says he's persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself. So we have freedom in Christ to enjoy all of God's good gifts, but not everyone has that freedom. Some have conscience issues against certain things. So what do we do with that? When we are together, what's it going to look like? If one person wants to enjoy what another person thinks is wrong, do we just say deal with it and then go ahead? Is my freedom in Christ the dominant factor that determines what I'm going to do? No, there's a limit on our exercise of freedoms, and that leads to the second point. Your freedom is less important than your brother's upbuilding. Your freedom's less important than your brother's upbuilding. The main command in verse 13 is never put a stumbling block or a hindrance in the way of a brother. That's the instruction on what not to do. Positively, verse, nine says, verse 19 says it this way, let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. So both the negative and the positive commands have the same idea which is this, the priority is not your exercise of your freedom, but that you protect and strengthen a fellow believer's relationship with Jesus. That's the priority. If your practice of freedom will cause them to stumble, if it will put an obstacle in the way of their faith, then you don't do it. Faithfulness to Christ in that moment looks like not doing the thing that you have freedom to do. It's a verse 21 and 22 situation where he says, It is good not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. The faith that you have, keep between yourself and God. There are times when it is good not to exercise your freedom in Christ. <clears throat> that time is when what you are doing causes your brother to stumble. So we have to define what that means to cause a brother to stumble. Does it mean that we should never do anything that a person might have problems with if they found out you did it? Is causing them to stumble just that they're annoyed or shocked that you would do that? Or does it mean something else? And it does. It means this. It means when you pressure someone or tempt them to do what they believe to be wrong. That's what it means to cause a brother to stumble. You pressure them or tempt them to do something they, they believe to be wrong. You encourage them to violate their own conscience. So going back to verse 14, Paul says, I know and am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself, but it is unclean 
for anyone who thinks it unclean. So Paul says, I have no problem eating pork, food sacrificed idols, just meat, even though I was raised under the food laws. But I also know that some of my fellow believers really believe that's not okay. They think it's wrong to eat it. So if they eat it, they will be sinning because they're doing what they believe to be wrong. Verse 23 says it this way. Whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats because the eating is not from faith. For whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. That's the same issue. If a believer eats something that he thinks he shouldn't, then he will be willfully doing what he believes to be a sin against God. His eating is not from faith. He thought he was being unfaithful to God, but he did it anyway. Therefore, his eating is sin. He is condemned if he eats. His conscience is saying, you are sinning. And it doesn't matter that God doesn't actually forbid eating it. What matters is that he thought it was wrong, but he went ahead anyway. He ignored his God-given conscience and therefore is sinning against God. So what does it mean to put a stumbling block or a hindrance in the way of a brother? It means you tempt or you pressure them to go against their conscience and do what they believe to be wrong. Like pressuring them to eat meat with you if they don't want to eat meat or drink with you or listen to Screamo or watch sci-fi or anything else that they really believe is wrong. So you protect and you strengthen your brother or your sister's relationship with Christ. You don't tempt them to sin. You don't do what you have freedom to do when it would cause them to stumble. The faith that you have, you keep between yourself and God. <clears throat> now that doesn't mean you never have a discussion with another person about the freedoms that we have in Christ. Because it is, after all, better not to be limiting yourself when God says you can have this. It would be better if you had more freedoms, that you were experiencing all that Jesus gives us. That would actually be better. So it's worth the conversation if someone is shut down, if they're limiting themselves in ways they really ought not to be. But that isn't really necessary in the long run. It's, it's in the moment, that's the way it is. So what are you going to do in the moment? Okay, I'm going to limit my freedom for your sake. Let's try a couple of examples of what this might look like in practice. I'll call the first example the carnivore and the vegan. A carnivore and a vegan walked into a bar. No, not that. <coughs> it's a couple. Let's say it's a couple. And uh, they're on a road trip. And the husband, he's the carnivore. And uh, he... He likes anything with legs, wings, or fins. He rejoices in Peter's vision in Acts 10:15, where the Lord said to him about all kinds of animals, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. He loves that verse. His wife won't eat anything but plants. She has conscience issues about the whole meat industry. She's not going to eat that. Okay, so it's getting lunchtime. They're looking for a restaurant to stop at. Okay, the carnivore is driving, and he's going to decide. He sees Rudy's barbecue on one side of the street, and it is calling to him. <clears throat> on the other side of the street is Sally's salad buffet, and he knows his wife will be in her element if we go there. 
Which one does he choose? Well, if he goes to the barbecue, his conscience won't be bothered, but hers will be. If he goes to the salad place, neither one of them will have a conscience issue because they can both eat it, although he might not want to. But it's not a conscience issue. He doesn't think he's doing anything wrong. So, being concerned about the upbuilding of his wife, they go to Sally's salad buffet. Because that's what you would do. Or, the smart guy will order online while they're in the salad place and pick up the barbecue on the way out. (laughs) One thing that illustrates is that it may cost you to not put a stumbling block in front of a brother or a sister. It means you have to go without something that is good that you would really like to have. But that is the way of Jesus Christ, who did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Jesus gave up a lot to enable us to have certain freedoms, to enable us to enjoy the grace of God. Here's another example. I'll call this alcohol versus abstinence. Interesting debate. Here's the scenario. A trio of friends goes out to dinner. Happens to be a restaurant attached to a brew pub. And they have an incredible selection of craft beers. Two of the guys are eager to try out some of those, but one of them has a conscience issue about alcohol. Do the two friends order the beer or not? The answer depends. But here are the issues to work through. First of all, is it fundamentally wrong to drink alcohol? I don't think the Bible teaches that. It teaches against drunkenness for sure. Ephesians 5.18, do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery. That's obvious. But Jesus provided the wine for the wedding in Cana in John chapter 2. Psalm 104.15 says, God gave wine to gladden the heart of man. Deuteronomy 14.26 says that the annual feast of the harvest, Israel was to bring money and spend it For whatever you desire, oxen or sheep or wine or strong drink, whatever your appetite craves, and you shall eat there before the Lord your God and rejoice. Reformers like Martin Luther brewed their own beer. So if the the two friends were there by themselves, it would be no problem to do those craft beers. But they are with the friend who thinks it's wrong who has a conscience issue about it. Either because he was taught that or because he has abused it in the past or just represents too much of a temptation. So what do they need to do? Well, they have to consider whether or not their drinking would exert pressure on this third friend to join with them. Would it tempt him to go down that path against his own conscience? Because if it would, then they bypass the craft brew and they don't do it. The easiest way to resolve it is just ask him (laughs) and make sure his answer isn't influenced by by peer pressure, by disappointing the group. Maybe it really is okay 
that he says, yeah, that's fine. That, does, that doesn't bother me at all. I won't do it, but that doesn't bother me if you do it. Maybe that's the situation. The one thing you can't do, though, in that situation is just order the beer and say, deal with it. Because it's a brew pub. That's what you do here. No, we don't go there. We don't flaunt our freedoms before others. And we could multiply examples related to music and movie watching and anything else where we might pressure somebody to do what they don't feel freedom to do. Exercising your freedom isn't as important as someone else's upbuilding in Christ. And we don't do that. We don't put a stumbling block before others because the consequences can be very serious for that person. Paul makes a lot of statements here about what happens if you cause your brother to stumble. Verse 15, you are no longer walking according to love, he says, if you do that. It's a very selfish thing to do to force someone else to join you in something that goes against their conscience. Again, verse 15, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. Destroy is a strong word. If a person learns to ignore their God-given conscience, they set themselves on a path towards spiritual destruction. Because Paul says in 1 Timothy 1.19 about faith and a good conscience, he says, some have rejected these and so have shipwrecked their faith. If you keep indulging yourself in what you think to be sin, at some point, your conscience will be hardened and you will no longer care about sin. And you may even deny Christ. Verse 20, do not for the sake of food destroy the work of God. So to pressure a believer into going against their conscience is actually working against what God is building. He is about renewing a person in grace and in holiness, and in enjoying Him. And you will be undoing all of that if you get them to, to go after what they believe to be sin. You'll be working against God by tempting them to rebel against God. That's a quite serious thing to do. It's not walking in love. But it is walking in love. It is protecting the work of God to at times deny yourself for the sake of others. There's even more at stake here than that, though, which leads to the last point. Your freedom is less important than the gospel. Listen again to verses 17 and 18. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. The kingdom of God is life under the rule of God through Jesus Christ, who is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And we see the kingdom in the lives of people who become followers of Jesus, who put, the, put themselves underneath this God who rules. And Paul says the substance of that kingdom is not about your freedoms in Christ. It is not a matter of eating and drinking, he says. Jesus didn't die for your sins just so you could eat bacon and drink beer and listen to rap or watch sci-fi or any other legitimately good thing. 
That's not what the kingdom is about in its essence. Jesus died for your sins to bring about righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. That's what the kingdom is about. Those are gospel realities that Romans 1 through 11 have taught us are the fundamentally important characteristics of the Christian life. Righteousness in Romans most often almost exclusively refers to the righteousness that is by faith. As it says in Romans 9.30, it is God's righteousness received as the one who died for our sins. It's the pronouncement that in Christ God sees you as having met his standards fully and that you are fit to dwell in his presence forever. And yes, if you have that righteous standing in your status, it will lead to righteous living in your experience, just as birth leads to growth. But the spring and the source of righteous living is that we are counted righteous in Christ, forgiven our sins and free from all condemnation. That's, that's what the kingdom of God is about, having that and living out of that. Peace is another gospel reality from Romans. It is peace with God that leads to peace in our hearts and peace among one another. Romans 5.1, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. That's the source of all real peace. It's to have God not as your enemy, but as your friend, to be in his good graces, to be in the full blessing of God. If you have that, then you can have peace with others because you can be content in God. You don't need to strive for things. You don't need to jump all over people. You don't need to get something from them. You, you have it. You have it in God. And there will be joy. Joy in the Holy Spirit, he says. Romans chapter 8 is all about the encouragement that the believer in Christ has God living within him in the person of the Holy Spirit. And one of the fruits of the Spirit is joy. Romans 8.11, The Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. God's very presence is with you always in the Spirit who empowers us with spiritual gifts. And He causes us to grow into the likeness of Christ. And, and Jesus was the most joyful person who ever lived. He had the pure, God-given joy. He said to his disciples, these things I have spoken to you, that, in, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. So here's the implication for your life and the life of the church. If someone looks at your life or at the way that we interact with one another in the church, the thing that should stand out is not that we defend our freedoms to do this or that. I'm free in Christ, so I always have a refrigerator full of beer. You know, come to our meeting because we've got awesome rock and roll music. That's not what should be the prominent feature of people in the kingdom of God. What people should see in us is people who know that they are counted righteous in Christ, that they have peace with God, and they have joy in the Holy Spirit. And because of these things, we pursue righteous living. We pursue what makes for peace and mutual upbuilding, and we practice the gift of the spirits to spread joy. 
They should be attracted to Christ and his salvation. If all we offer the world is freedom to eat and drink and watch movies and listen to music, we're not offering people anything that they don't already have. They already know they have those freedoms. What they don't have is peace, righteousness, joy in the Holy Spirit. That's what we want people to see is here among us. That that's what we value more than my freedom to do things. No, no, we, we value Christ. We value the gospel. That is more important than our freedoms. We want Christ to be what's most attractive about us. The other things are fine, but they're not ultimate. They're not what the church is to be about. So it means it doesn't matter if you are weak or strong in your faith, if you have some caps on your freedoms, or if you're like expanding them to all that you've got. That doesn't matter. What matters is that you have faith in Christ. And if you have that, you have righteousness, and you have peace, and you have the Holy Spirit, and we're growing in joy. Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by man. It doesn't matter whether you're eating or drinking. If you say, I can or I can't, you're serving Christ because you belong in his kingdom and you're one of his. And that's what matters. I'll just close with this. Isn't it good that, that God wants to build up a community where we all decide never to put a stumbling block or a hindrance in the way of a brother? What a wonderful community to be a part of. We've all decided this. I will not negatively influence your walk with Christ. I will only be pursuing that increase in you. What a wonderful community that God wants us to be a part of. And that's what he's building. It's what he's building. Not a community where we just say deal with it and everybody's kind of doing their own thing and then squabbling over it. No, no, there's this, there's this unity that's built around gospel. And it causes us to be for one another and sensitive to what's going on in each other's consciences and, and trying to, to help move around that if we need to, speak to it if we need to, but never to put a stumbling block in front of. And so sometimes we'll limit our freedoms and sometimes we'll exercise our freedoms, but we'll always be doing it with the big picture in mind. <laughs> this is God's community and there's a certain way about it. There's a certain joy in it. There's a certain foundation to it, which is not my freedom. It's Christ and Him crucified. Jesus is our model in building this community. And may He continue to build it here at Sovereign Grace Church. Let's pray. Lord, we just thank You that... Um, you didn't make us adjust to you. <laughs> you left your throne in heaven, your place, and came to us to become one of us, to suffer with us and for us so that we could be freed to be with you and to have a glorious future. And so we thank you for that, and we ask that you continue to stamp that that character in us and make us wise in the way we deal with one another when we have disagreements. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.